and here we are. Right then, so we're doing yet another of the weekly Boba Fett discussion show. We're over the halfway point now. I mean, we were last episode as well, but we're getting near the end. There's only two episodes to go, and this is going to be very heavily spoilery. Um, even the name of the episode is a spoiler. Uh, so everything from here, if you haven't watched the episode, go do it. Um, but before we get into that, Obviously, we've got Ben here of Star Wars Timeline once again. One of my favorite people in the world to talk about Star Wars with Good and stuff. Good to be here, Mike. It's always delightful. So um, just briefly, uh, tell people, I know we'll plug at the end and I'll include links, but for, tell people who you are, where they can find you, and then your thoughts on the previous episode, The Gathering Storm. Guys, how are you once again, Mike? Thanks for having me. I really, really enjoy talking to you. You and I got together through general YouTube commenting on the videos, and I really enjoyed your podcast. It was just so professional and eloquent, like it's just leading <laughs> your conversations, you know, and, and it, it, it was such a blast hearing your interview. He speaks, I was like, I got to talk to this guy at some point. And of course, I invited you over back and forth. I am over at Star Wars Timeline, and how I started my YouTube channel is I wanted to do book reviews, and I wanted to focus the fandom on paying attention to both legends and canon. Mm -hmm. All of it is fun. All of it is Star Wars, right? This division in the fandom is unnecessary business. I'm like, hey, here's a guy who read a lot of legends books. I read a lot of canon. And it's so much more to learn mm -hmm. from fans like you, from people who come at any different point into Star Wars and still have a lot to show you and share with you. Their thoughts, opinions, even information that you kind of miss. That's where the channel started from. From there, it snowballed into Star Wars Timeline Facebook group where I thought I would just dump my videos and suddenly people started coming in. Hey, Ben, you kind of like have a good reign on this uh, uh, page where everybody is able to speak their mind. But at mm. the same time, we keep it positive. So yeah. that's where it all came from. Thoughts on the last episode. I thought that the last episode was the lowest point of the show. Mm. Uh, very, very oddball decision making there. And it's a bit frustrating, especially next to the episode that we saw and going to speak about today, where why this inconsistency in quality? Mm. You know, it's, it seems like they have their game on. You know, I love I mean, you and I, we spoke about this at length that we both enjoy the fact that Disney is willing to experiment. Mm. They're trying out directors who are not necessarily world renowned, right? The script writers, they introduce young talent, fresh new blood. So where is this coming from? Why do we have such huge jumps, gaps, gaps in quality between the last episode and the new one? So the last episode just felt like it didn't really have focus. It didn't really have a foresight in what the show needs to be mm. in general. Yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've been thinking about it a lot because I said in the last episode, I think it might have been my favorite episode four, but... Hmm. it's kind of hard because the problem is and uh, one of my friends um actually i've spoken to two or three different people i think have said this i think dave who's been on this has said and i think chris brayton a friend of mine who's been on genuine chit chat a couple times right. both of them basically said the thing is is that there's not mandalorian was so good in so many ways and i know we're not meant to be comparing shows that much but the problem is right. is that with every episode of Mandalorian, there was something big and epic. I'm more so on series two, let's say. There was something big and epic that happened. Whether or not it was a bit fan servicey or what, it was still something was thrilling. You were going across the ride. Even the weaker episode of Mandalorian, I was still like, this is still really exciting, focusing mm -hmm. on series two. But then with this, it seems the 
opposite. There doesn't really seem to be any main big thing that's going on, excluding the episode we just watched. So right. it was just like, you know, episode one was good, but it was like, yeah, this was good, but it's a starting one, so people are generally a bit more forgiving. So you're like, okay, that's fine. Episode two was a bit slow, but it had some Tuscan stuff, and you're like, okay, that's cool. It's building up to something there. Then episode three was like, okay, Tuscans are gone. Don't worry about it. Don't even think about it ever again. You're like, okay. And then you had the the really uh polarizing scooters and things which i thought design wise were fine but no dust on them made no sense especially because the whole plot line is they don't have water so that was just completely baffling the world's slowest fast car chase which is really disjointed and strange and then you got the last episode which i did enjoy and i still think it's probably my favorite on the basis that i'm a lore junkie and i even though it is a problem with star wars which is the problem with solo star wars story we don't need every conceivable thing explained in a sense of, yeah. we don't need to know necessarily how Boba got a ship. But then when you tell the story, it's like, okay, cool. But then you hear the story and you go, well, my biggest problem that I had with the last episode was I was just like, how has no one flown this ship? How, how, what's well, so a Boba Fett ship has been there for years, potentially mm-hmm. up to four, maybe even five years since people think that Boba Fett is dead. It's just been left there in a hangar that isn't actually that big. It's the only ship, it's taking up almost the whole size. There's no comment that anyone was flying it, there was no lock on it. Boba Fett didn't mention, oh, there's a password on it, so you can't get in it. What no one thought, you know, Bib didn't go. This is Boba Fett's ship. And before that, it was Django Fett's. They're two of the most universally renowned bounty hunters. I could make millions of credits off this. They go, nah, let's just leave it in the hangar and not do anything with it for four or five years. And you're like, what is happening? I don't. So it's all these weird little things where it's just like, oh, it's cool you got a ship. Oh, it's cool they destroyed the Sarlacc. But the more I think about it, I'm just like, it does feel, and this is a very big comparison a lot of people have said, which is, very much like a video game and i think you made that comparison previously as well it's just like hey here's the next mission it's go get your ship oh it's not as simple as you think you have to fight a few goons before you get it and then what happens when you get it well then you've got your ship it's like but what does that add oh not nothing really but you've got your ship now it's like okay and it just felt like that quite a lot yeah you know it's uh, to add to it you and i have a very different read on the mandalorian show Mm. you see i'm not being very disappointed i'm having my like surface level popcorn entertainment with the show, just like I did with the Mandalorian, where I feel this calls back to the quality I find in Mandalorian. Mm. You know, I didn't find that much excitement or thrilling stuff happening. Each episode was very self-contained in the Mandalorian. Oftentimes things were not making a lot of sense. The ship was shot down because it needed to crash on the spider planet just because so we could see some CGI effects on some spiders. That was the weakest episode. Some goofball, you know. The And and I think that uh, most of season one and even season two had some outstanding episodes that were self-contained, but then had also episodes which didn't lead anywhere and just weren't thrilling to me. And mm. And expecting that kind of overall general quality across the board from John Favreau mm. this is exactly what I expected from the show for for better or for worse and you know that's what I'm taking away from it but I'm trying to analyze and judge it from the perspective of what's in the episode not try to add to it something that I wish I saw which fans oftentimes do like it shouldn't go this way it should be this route why are they doing this questioning every step of the way what the director is doing mm. what I would rather do is sit down absorb the episode and try to piece together and parts and say, well, what are they trying to accomplish here? Where are they going? I'm, I'm trying to completely suspend my disbelief and mm. 
allow myself to be led by these filmmakers and storytellers. This is what they teach in film school. You know, you know when the director is powerful when he's able to grab your attention from the beginning of the episode or a film or a book, the first pages, and he's able to hold it until the very end. And it's just not happening here. At first, mm. it seems like somebody grabbed your attention, but they're like, where are you leading with this? In the previous episode, it starts off pretty interestingly. Even though we swept the Tuscans under the rug, we still see that Boba Fett is there. He's being like this quiet and sober man. Perhaps he's grieving in his own silent way. Mm. Then we're back to the cyberpunk kids, which <laughs> takes you completely out of the experience. It just doesn't feel right that, that the dreadlocks do it. And I have nothing against that. It's it's I'm um, all about representation, everything like this, but not the expense of the storyline where it feels like they wanted to modernize Star Wars, which is a good thing mm. and represent everybody's faces, everybody's culture. That's a good thing, but not if it doesn't add anything to the mood and feel and the texture of Tatooine. Mm. You know, to me, once again, I'm, you know me, I'm not a huge prequel fan either. I never saw Tatooine as this prison world. To me, it was this. Westworld gunslinger frontier with hard toiling moisture farmers. Yeah. What we saw in the original. Again, I, I understand that I'm coming from my own biases. And perhaps the show doesn't answer a call, respond to my personal biases, but it also, also doesn't correspond to what was established before, regardless of how I feel about it. The mm. tattooing that we know. From that point forward, it's just the episode. I did enjoy Fennec Shant coming in. And how Boba Fett salvages her and we see those cybernetic parts. That was kind of nice. But then again, we get to that part with the taking over the Jabba's palace. And it's just descends into these, I don't know, like early 2000s cheap CGI fests of movies like Underworld, Chronicles of Riddick, which is completely <laughs> dumb, brainless entertainment. Because the, the shootout felt completely servicey like rudimentary like oh by the way we need to have a shootout mm. she's freaking flipping gamorians off the ship with a single punch <laughs> it's just and you know I'm, I'm i'm not trying to be nitpicky and like just break down everything that i see but i'm like okay you're the one who is showing me these images and making me try to believe in them well i can't mm. she's just a small tiny human being granted she's an assassin she's physically doing this to these gamorians really yeah and then from there Forget all the little nuance, which I'm not even going to try to find in this uh, 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 show. Two things that which completely just shut all the way down for me. First, that goofy Warner Brothers, Palmer and Bugs Bunny chase at the at the palace with that little oh. droid from the Clone Wars. Like, yep. are you serious? What the fuck is this? <laughs> like, who is showing this? I understand it's a family show. I understand you need a comic relief. Boba Fett is grabbing a little CGI drone. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm Boba Fett. I'm like, who wrote this stuff? You know, I'm not at this point. I'm not expecting much from Star Wars. But if we hold it to any sort of kind of standard, you got to criticize at some point. At least mm. at, at one point, you got to drop the facade of positivity if it's all cool and start addressing these issues. Like, what the hell is this? And the most pivotal point of the show, the midway episode, we get to this crime boss family. I don't know if you see my review or not. It completely drops the ball within mm. the context of the episode itself, where Boba Fett doesn't have anything to bargain with. He has no reason for these crime bosses to listen to him. And they say, well, we basically don't respect you. We could walk out of this meeting and just, just kill you later on, right? Mm. No, no, no. All I ask from you is that you don't participate with the pikes while they come your way to try to move against me. 
once again, who is writing this stuff? High schoolers? <laughs> he's he's talking to another criminal syndicate bosses, and he's politely asking them not to, which is exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, it's just frustrating to a point like I can't believe this. You know, it's it's if you watch ABC shows like Flash and Arrow, they have better, stronger writing. They have better action going on there. They are, and those are the basic television shows. This is Disney. This is, you know, I, it's unfortunate, but we have to live with the reality where Star Wars doesn't feel special anymore. Hmm. It feels very much like a conveyor belt popcorn, you know, entertainment, and you just don't feel excitement anymore. You're like, okay, all right, you know, let me stay with the positive, happy thoughts here. Let me enjoy the next episode. It doesn't feel special anymore. Yeah, well, taking that on board and things, because you and I, like, um, I, I really enjoyed Mandalorian. Uh, mm-hmm. Series one, I thought was good. But everyone yeah. was like super hyped, and I was like, everyone yeah. else can be hyped about it. I think it's good. I think if you watch Clone Wars or Rebels, they are far superior to most of Mandalorian, if not all of Mandalorian series one, apart from maybe Agreed. the first episode. I mm-hmm. think that Clone Wars, apart from the first season and parts of the second season and any episodes of Jar Jar, pretty much all of Clone Wars, apart from certain structures of it, it is there's got so many high peaks that are better than Mando. And then I just think Rebels is just the best Star Wars content that's been released aside from the original trilogy. I think it's it gets better and better and better and better and better. And it's like, you can't, I won't spoil it, but you cannot watch Series 4 of Rebels after watching the rest of it and not feel something. Especially the episode title, which I won't say anything about it in case of spoilers, but there's an episode called Jedi Knight. And it's probably one of my favourite things I've ever seen in Star Wars ever. And it's Everyone just like... Dies. <laughs> and then the next four episodes are just a shot of space and nothing right. <laughs> so think of all those things and think you know everyone's got their opinions on um, Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian I take your things on board and I can easily see why that is the case of Mandalorian I think a lot of it is surface level coolness as opposed to depth I feel there was a degree of emotional depth and the story that was being told was interesting in Mandalorian but I wanted more lore that's what I love I'm a lore junkie and that's why I like Rebels and Clone Wars so much because to a fault sometimes it's too much lore in certain ways especially with the Mandalorian plot lines in Rebels like people they see the Rebels uh, animation they're like I don't like it uh, that much. And I'm like, Rebels has some of the most in-depth Star Wars history in the current canon. And the way it shows Mandalorian, it's like a whole season about Mandalorians. Like, it's almost that, almost is more of a show called The Mandalorian than The Mandalorian Show. So with that all in mind, and everything we've criticized about Book of Boba Fett, although I'm still enjoying it, and I think you're saying to agree, you're still enjoying enjoying it as well. You're just not, you know, you're not expecting what everyone else is kind of hoping for. And I think first four episodes, I'm like, I'm still enjoying it. It's still Star Wars. Even when Star Wars is bad, I still think it's okay for the most part. I don't think I've ever watched Star Wars and like any Star Wars content and actively gone, this is bad, uh, aside from maybe the Clone Wars movie. That wasn't great. But moving on. So we get on to episode five and obviously the name of the episode, The Return of the Mandalorian. I think this episode... It's definitely the best episode of Book of Boba Fett. I don't think anyone's disputing that. I think it's better than most episodes of Mandalorian, to be honest. And the problem is, is that you've got an episode in Book of Boba Fett which hasn't got Boba Fett in it. And it is so much better than everything we've seen in Book of Boba Fett so far. And I said this when I was speaking to some of the guys about this. I was like, um, we're talking to Messenger and stuff. It's like, the problem is this episode. I'm very happy I watched it. I loved it. I'm probably going to rewatch this episode at some point because it's so good on itself. It just works so well. But the problem is it actually makes the whole series weaker. Because rather than us going, oh yeah, Book of Boba Fett is building to something, you know, we're just getting to know Boba Fett. They just are finding their footing. And then you get this one episode and everyone kind of goes... I don't really care about Boba Fett, to be honest. 
I've real this episode makes you go, I don't really care about Book of Boba about Boba Fett anymore. I just want to see the Mandalorian. And you're like, how can you have an opening scene like you have for this episode with the Darksaber? And it's probably, aside from the Vader hallway scene in Rogue One, this is the most brutal and brilliant to watch lightsaber not not lightsaber duel but you know when you see a lightsaber against someone without a lightsaber you're watching him just slicing about the boss he literally slices in half camera doesn't pan you just watch this guy get sliced which you you don't get to see that unless you've played games like um you know jedi outcast and things like that or even force unleashed you don't get to see that in star wars so when you see that you're like oh my god apart from a bit of limbs getting cut off so you're like start this episode oh it's amazing we're gonna see mando interact with boba fett and then you get about 10 minutes after that and you're like oh no this is all about mandalorian there's exposition dumps about lore it's funny there's loads of references the action's brilliant the acting's great and you're just like oh so it's not the showrunners maybe maybe it's not even necessarily one could argue the writing maybe it's the fact that us as an audience just don't care about boba fett and because boba fett's got this legacy behind him and what everyone kind of wanted from the show what we all really want is more mandalorian and this episode has really hurt my enjoyment of the last four episodes because I was just like being, I'm forgiving. Something good's going to come. And then the best thing's come, and it's not even about Boba Fett. It's just like, ah, oh, what have you done? You've kind of shot yourself in the foot in a, in a way. So what did, you, with this episode, we'll go through individual plot parts, but with this episode in particular, what are your kind of thoughts on it? Do you share what I feel or, or what's the sort of, uh, yeah, what do you think about it? So my review was, uh, guys, from the beginning, first few seconds, I got to say, I love this episode, but... And I'm going to return to this, but which I did at the end of my review. A great episode. It, it still doesn't quite reach that highest possible bar that I hope for, wish for Star Wars one day, but mm-hmm. it's pretty damn close. Pretty yeah. awesome episode. Um, I would have been fine with it if that show stylistically chose a very particular storytelling device where each episode you introduce a henchman mm. and how Boba, via Nick Fury kind of style, recruits them at the end of that episode Mm. and then he brings them all together and shows you that this faceless masked bounty hunter that doesn't have a lot of character at least in the legends type of lore he's always masked and you don't know his personality the only thing that motivates him me myself and i no loyalties no allegiances none of that good guy bullshit i tried to rule with respect he's a gunslinger he'll blast you in the freaking face and he only needs you for so long that you're useful to him Mm -hmm. right So I would understand that and say, okay, I see how that episode fits because each one is about a different henchman. That's one style. Another style, Mike, you mentioned lore. My favorite episode so far, as far as Boba Fett is concerned, was episode two where we spent time with the Tuscans. Yes. And my question was, why are you not spending the entire seven episode season developing that? Hmm. You know, before the the dish is ready, you got to simmer it a little bit. You got to cook it. You got to put all the right spices before it's done before you can evoke an emotion and have people attached to it. You very eloquently mentioned Star Wars Rebels, which I think is some of the most phenomenal writing in Star Wars, period. Mm-hmm. Period. By the time it's, if you weren't catching on for the first couple of episodes, because, ah, it's kids' animation, who cares? By the fourth season, you're crying and you're begging for more. You're like, please, Dave Filoni, I want more. <laughs> and they ended on such a high note that you want more. That's the perfect way to end the series, or at least pause it. We don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to return or not, right? But here we have a wonderful episode, and I know personally that from you know studying filmmaking and, and script writing and storyboarding, it's not 
what fans want that's the problem it's that the showrunners have this dissonance with with the vision that they have for star wars which again i'm fine with i don't want to cancel canceling uh, kathleen kennedy i don't want to put john favreau to torch just because he doesn't make the kind of films that i like i enjoy the fact that we are experimenting mm-hmm. i enjoy the fact where we're failing and trying again and again and again until we get it right that's okay with me that's why I'm never going to be too critical and say, you know, let's march on to Disney headquarters and burn somebody. You know? <laughs> but um, it makes me question why you have strategically placed able storytellers, directors and writers into this one episode and you don't exploit their talents for the rest of the show. Mm. Who is thinking this through? Who is responsible? Why are these really, really strange decisions coming from where – you're making an episode, and like you said, you, you're basically throwing the rest of Boba Fett's show under the bus with it. Mm-hmm. You don't do this. And, you know, it's forgiving when it's an independent film, a Star Wars fanfic being thrown on YouTube, and, you know, these kids are trying. It's like, hey, you know, it's a good effort. You know, we got to be a little – this is Disney we're talking about. Once again, this is not Arrow and Flash and all that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television stuff. This is Disney, man. I know they're able. I know they're capable. I just don't understand it. On its own, like I'm watching it. I'm like, dude, I wish the rest of the show was this good. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) what can you do? It is one of those things. With what you say about the henchman thing, I I was just thinking if I – obviously, we don't know what the next two episodes are going to be, and we'll get onto that in a bit because I'm kind of worried now about the next two episodes, but not from – not because I think they're going to be bad. I just think they're going to basically just be all about Mando. And I'm just, you know. But the thing is, what you said about the henchman thing, I'm thinking that if they restructured the show, if I if I could basically get all the footage that we've had, say there's no extra deleted scenes, just all the footage um, that has been filmed for Book of Boba Fett that we've seen so far, it's over five episodes, I would trim it right back. I'd have it in three. I would have or maybe, maybe four, but I'd probably trim it down to three. And what I would do is I'd be... First episode would be the Boba Fett, um, Sarlacc Pit stuff, and Tuscan Raider stuff. All of that. None of the f- current stuff, just the Tuscan Raider and Sarlacc Pit stuff straight away. The second episode I'd then have is, ignoring some of the cyberpunky stuff, I would just have the Fennec Shan stuff. So you've got, we ignore the ship, you could just have an offhand comment saying, it was in Jabba's palace, um... I put some, there's some special codes on it and magna clamps. Bib wouldn't be able to remove that from the hangar, even if he tried. I snuck in there at night, got it, no one noticed. I d- that would have worked. You could have had two lines of dialogue, maybe even a one minute conversation. You could have got all of that and have the Fennec Shan stuff, develop her a bit more and stuff. And then you'd have the second part of episode two, after you've kind of got Fennec Shan and done all that sort of stuff and maybe even the revenge scene with the the, the Nikto uh, rides whatever have that shooting whatever but then the rest of it just be the current day Boba Fett he interacts with the huts gets the rancor stuff then I would have the Mandalorian episode and that would be just the three and then I'd be like okay so you've got one about Boba Fett one about sort of Fennec Shand and a little bit about current times. One about the Mandalorian. Then, obviously, at the end of this episode, Mando says basically he's going to go get Grogu. So, you know, he's probably going to come back with Grogu. And it's like, okay, have that as the third episode. Then have, like, the fourth episode being little bits that are in episode three and four. Maybe the Black Chrysanthemum stuff. That sort of element of things. And then whatever's going to be the next episode, 
click that on. That'd be four episodes. And then the fifth episode can be whatever the finale is, which is probably going to be a big team up with Mando, Boba, Black Crescent, and Fennec Shan. Just have those five episodes, yeah. cut the fat, and then you've got one episode almost per character, and then the team up. Instead, what we've had really is we've had three episodes that kind of they plod along and they go back and mm-hmm. forth and they can't really figure out what they want to do pacing wise or what they want to do, you know, what story they're trying to tell or who Boba Fett's going to be. You've got Boba Fett being a Mandalorian, this ruthless badass that we've still not actually seen that. But it's not because the show doesn't want that because this Mandalorian episode is more brutal than that episode was. So it's not like they were going, oh, maybe they're just trying tonally to change the show. They're not trying to have another Mandalorian. They're trying to have a tonally more uh, mature show that's got less action in that way. Okay, let's see where that goes. No, 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 we're not doing that. Oh, so what's your excuse for not having all this cool stuff? Why have we, why have we had no, why have we had this drought of cool Boba Fett moments? I thought it was because you don't want to put that in the show because you're going in a different direction. And then this episode drops and you go, no, no, we are doing all those things. We're just didn't put them in the last four episodes. You're like, so what are you doing? What, what This whole episode like has completely thrown out of whack what I thought this show was aiming for, what I thought the show missed out on. But I was like, okay, you know, when you watch a film and you've got certain expectations, it's different and you don't like it. So you rewatch it and you go, oh, I get it now. No, no, this has done the opposite. This is just, com- and it's quite frustrating because this episode was so good in so many ways. This episode could have probably been two episodes because it had so much in it and I just loved yeah. it. And I was just like, you're saving all of this cool stuff for episode five. If this was in episode three and then we didn't see Mandalorian for a while, then all the people who are doubting it were like, oh, cool. We get the Mandalorian stuff. We get a bit of that, you know, you kind of get that wanting. Then people who weren't that fast on Boba Fett are still like, well, Mando's going to come back. But now they've basically gone to a point where I've had... I've had three people message me who know obviously I love Star Wars and things who are different levels of Star Wars fans who all said after episode two or three I just gave up on Book of Boba Fett and I was like push through because this episode's worth it but unfortunately it makes the other ones worse and it's just so frustrating. I have uh, two things to add here. Number one it would be justifiable if in the last two episodes they bring it all home and we will understand that this episode was there in order to just oppose Mandalorian, Dinjarin to Boba Fett and say how these two work differently. Mm. One tries to follow the creed, he wants to follow the code and everything, Boba Fett is not. And somehow Boba Fett, as is in Legends books, eventually Boba Fett becomes the Mandalore, he starts following the creed, even though he himself is not a Mandalorian, he embraces that culture. And what if, what if, which I don't expect to see, I don't expect the show to have this, this much foresight, but what if they deliberately focused on this character here in order for them to come back to Boba Fett and say, well, this is how Boba Fett is different. And his road, his journey, his character growth will take him into this direction later on. Hmm. Perhaps there will be even some sort of apprenticeship where Boba Fett schools this younger foundling, Dinjarin, and shows him the way and at the same time feels the weight of his own responsibility and also kind of passes over and becomes the native of the Mandalorians. And number two... This entire show feels like a greatest hits album. You know, mm. when I listen to my favorite musicians, like I listen to a lot of heavy metal. Same. You know, you can't listen to a song or two from And Justice for All of Master and Puppets and call it, yeah, I know Metallica. Listen to the entirety of the record. Appreciate what the artist is trying to do conceptually, narratively, in terms of plot line in terms of lyrics in terms of musical content appreciate it and then you could pick your favorite songs and say this is what i 
enjoy. This is my part of Metallica that I like. Here, it just feels like one song is here. And I don't mean just from episode to episode. I mean from scene to scene. Hmm. Because not to sound like snotty guy who knows you know too much about filmmaking or cinema, there is a little bit more to storytelling than what characters say on screen and how the plot moves forward. That's just one aspect of filmmaking. Plot points going from part A to point B and what is shown on the screen. There's so much nuance and trickery and wizardry in in building story from frame to frame, the musical component, that what characters are saying, how they're saying it, how the later shots come back to what was stated earlier. You know what I mean? All of that stuff, the beats, so to speak, it is so important and we're missing it sorely in modern entertainment in general. Where you watch a couple of shows, like for example, when I watch The Witcher show, like it's sort of kind of decently there. It's nice. It maintains that line. When I watch something like the uh, Westworld, you can't wait for the next scene. You just can't. They they hold your attention. That's the to me. That's the art of cinema. And I don't care if it has a Star Wars marker slapped on it or a Marvel logo or DC. I don't care what it is. To me, Star Wars doesn't represent the pinnacle of storytelling. Hmm. It has some great storytelling in it, but it's not all of it. There's other shows and movies out there, IPs, that achieve just as much, if not more. Mm-hmm. So when you come to Star Wars and you come to Book of Boba Fett, you're saying to yourself, get your act together. You know, there's, there's more involved. And, and knowing John Farrow's library of films, that's what he amounted to mostly. When you watch the original Iron Man film, it has that wholesome, complete feel to it. From start to finish, the great origin film, one mm-hmm. of the best ones. Agreed. I still think it's his best work to date. I've After that, agree. when you watch his Disney adaptations, they just feel like these heartless, cold husks of the original Disney animated films. Not because he's a bad man, he wants to subvert fan expectations or do bad by fans. He's a good guy, I'm sure of it. He's a good filmmaker, but he doesn't have that talent of evoking emotion. Because it's not just about what's showing on the screen and taking Simba from point A to point B. It's a craft. It's an art. And it's sorely lacking in the show. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, your comparison of the greatest hits thing is very interesting because I'm I'm a man who's very much into my music as well. I, I, I have a very eclectic music taste. I love heavy metal. I love death metal with a lot of unclean vocals and shouting and stuff in it. I like rap. I like a bit of classical. You know, Mozart's Lacrimosa is one of my favorite songs ever. I love Evanescence, Muse, but I also like pop music, Sia, etc., Halsey. Mm-hmm. So I like all spectrums of, of music. And I agree with you, you know, if you're a fan of a band and your favorite album is their greatest hits album, Either the band aren't that good, or more likely you're not as much of a fan as you think you are. Because, you know, there's bands like... I haven't listened to much ABBA, for example. I've listened to, you know, Megan quite likes them and things. But it's like, I like their big hits, you listen to it. But then you listen to their album and you go, oh, I can see why the greatest hits are the most popular, because a lot of their other songs aren't that good. But with Metallica, or a lot of bands, especially in the alternative scene, be it rock or otherwise, if your favourite album's the greatest hits album you're not as much of a fan of that band because if you love, really like these two songs, you, you'll probably love the album. And I'm very much, when people tell me, oh, I love, yeah, I love these one or two songs for this band. I go, oh, did you check out the album? No. And I'm like, why? What are you doing? <laughs> you're starving yourself from more cool stuff. What are you doing? And when you say it with this, it is interesting because it does kind of feel like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett are trying to be the greatest hits of Star Wars. They're trying to kind of do everything at once. 
And the best Star Wars generally um, is, you know, we've got Rebels, which there was no expectation. There's a bit of Clone Wars expectation, but a lot of people wrote it off anyway. So Rebels could kind of quietly under the radar, kind of do whatever it wanted, and it succeeded greatly. Clone Wars, you know, was a bit rocky in certain places, but generally got better because it didn't necessarily have that weight behind it. But the prequels and the sequels are heavily flawed in a lot of ways because they were trying to kind of mimic the success of the original trilogy. Yeah. And it kind of feels like Mando is trying to be, and by extension, Book of Boba Fett is trying to be, hey, here is, here's the best parts of Star Wars you love. Here's some badass fighting. Here's a couple of cool mm-hmm, references. Mm-hmm. Here's this. And it's you just- You nailed bit- it. You're nailing exactly. You're reading my mind. Yeah. And so I, I see what you're saying there. So if, if we- if we go into this episode specifically, and I'll throw in a few references and stuff here, but yeah. um, we mentioned the start part, you know, which is really cool. He pulls out the dark saber, kills some of the Clatoonians uh, and things, which is really brutal and cool. And then he basically, I'm just making sure I'm getting my uh, getting my notes right. So he does that, and he burns himself with the saber, and then he basically um, goes, gets his bounty, and he goes to that place, which is like the Halo ring. Now I, I assume because you're quite a gamer, you've played the Halo games. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my god. Yeah they've got Halo in Star Wars. <laughs> How cool is this? And although, I, I clarify, I thought this episode was really cool. I want to know, yeah. I, I'd be happy with the whole episode just talking about the history of that Halo thing. I, I don't know if they have it in Legends, but I've not seen that style of um, of city or civilization in Star Wars before. I didn't even know what it was called. I forgot to look it up. So with that element, that's the kind of Star Wars I like. Look, it's unique. It's different. You feel like you're in this crazy, cool, different world. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. I love that. So... With the set piece of the, I'm going to call it the Halo world, because it's, it looks just like Halo. Um, with the Halo world and then him meeting up with the Armourer and Paz Vizsla, what were your kind of thoughts on that element of this? Um, it was an interesting callback to 70s and 80s science fiction. So let me just give you like a quick uh, introduction briefly. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the novel myself, but it's on my reading list because... In along with my popular entertainment book tie-ins like Star Wars, you know, expanded universe, I do check out hardcore science fiction, Arthur C. Clarke, you know, Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov. So the idea of the Ring World, if didn't originate, but was actually popularized by the wor- a novel called Ring World by author Levi Nevin in 1970. So he kind of establishes that canonical sci-fi idea. Mm. And when I was looking into it, I was looking remembering that novel, but also Starship Troopers. Mm, oh, what this episode had a lot of the feel of that, where basically Marines in space, which are yeah. Mandalorians, all of that comes from Heinlein's uh, uh, Starship Troopers. And looking at the ring world, it gives you, it's like an interesting crossover between hardcore science fiction concepts, which has obviously dates on the surface. Mm. Any Hardcore science fiction literature snub will tell you, well, if the Star Wars is not sci-fi, like we understand that, we know that, because it doesn't rely heavily on scientific concepts, which every is a prerequisite of hardcore science fiction literature. It just uses them as backdrops. Yeah, it space really fantasy. uses right uh, science fiction elements as just a backdrop of this escapist fantasy world, where primarily is focused on dramatization of events in the human story. Regardless whether you have an alien or not, we get that. <laughs> Chill out, guys, a little bit. We we understand that, but it's still, nonetheless, is an interesting crossover. And right from the beginning of this episode, you just knew right away that it's a different vibe to it. It's, it's a different level of craftsmanship involved, a mm. different level of storytelling because visual storytelling is happening. You have this din jarring guy. He's stuck in the loop, right, reinforced by this circular, round disc-like shape. 
and he's walking. He doesn't have a ship anymore. He has to actually like limp back to, to collect his bounty. So it's a perfect example of how a story is happening in terms of word being said, a picture being shown, and all of that collaborating together to put you in a space. Mm. That's what this episode is doing. This is nuance. This is something we generally don't see. This is what we see a lot of in Mandalorian, where Pablo Pablo Pascal, right? The, yeah, the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. That Pablo guy. Pascal, where he tries to emote in suit. Obviously, mm. his face is covered by this helmet, and he tries to react to Grogu. And there's a couple of really interesting moments there with Grogu when Grogu pulls out that little ball yeah. from the, the machinery, from the, the, the uh, control deck. And you look at that stuff, and a lot of it feels... Again, I don't mean to demean it in any possible way, but a lot of it feels very tacky, very forced, because they are aware of these conscious choices, but the way they're pulling off is very, very sloppy. Hmm. You could tell. It's like whoever is directing it is like, I just graduated film school. I want, I'm, I'm directing Star Wars. It's like it's that level of excitement. I get it. I'm forgiving. I'm by no means a, a filmmaker or a film director. These guys are a gazillion times more talented than I am. But you understand what I'm saying. In, in, but in this episode of uh, uh, Book of Boba Fett, it's, it's, it's like it's, it has a mature seasoned feel to it. It's like, oh, we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Boom, this panoramic shot, establishing shot of this distant space. I'm like, ooh, boom, you see the citizenry, you see like the levels of the buildings and like the uh, cityscape. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I'm watching this. Can, can you give me every episode like this? God damn it. Like, it, it just puts you right into Star Wars. It makes you happy to be a Star Wars fan, it makes you excited. Mm. Yeah, and I really like, as you said, um, I, I thought about this, I, I made a note of it as well, which is. <clears throat> It really goes to show how Mandalorian has grown as a character um, from when you first saw him at the start of Mandalorian to end of series two, when you realize that his purpose changed from just, he was kind of just existing. He was going around killing people for money to then be able to fly his ship to another bounty. And he just was in a loop, as you say. And then you find that when he loses Grogu, the first thing he does goes back to being a bounty hunter. He just goes back to killing people for money, basically. And obviously he's lost his ship and stuff. So there is actually now a goal because he he doesn't have Razor Crest anymore. He needs something (laughs) to be able to even basically get back to Grogu. But it is that thing where he's just like, Grogu's gone. He's a bit hollow. He doesn't really want to be doing it anymore, but he can still do it. He's still amazing at it. But he is realizing that his purpose, he doesn't want a lot of these things. He just wants to basically be a dad. And it's really quite touching in a lot of ways that you get to see that where from the first scene and I was like, oh, Mandalorian's back. We're going to get a little scene of him and that's going to go back to Boba Fett and that'll be it. But we got Mandalorian 2.5 basically, which I think Filoni and Jon Favreau before Boba Fett came out, they were like, oh, yeah, Boba Fett is going to serve as like Mandalorian 2.5. And I was thinking, oh, you mean it's going to be set between Mando series two and three. And after this episode, I go, oh, no, this is you have to watch this to get mandalorian now i see i see what they're saying and i think that yeah with the ring world being stuck in a loop that's some very clever imagery but also clever for you to have to have noticed that so when we go on to speaking with um the armorer and paz Vizsla, you know you get very i loved i love the dark saber stuff you know in rebel you get a bit of it in clone wars which is interesting <clears throat> and maul gets it and stuff and there's quite a lot of interesting lore about the dark saber in rebels they really go on a lot more about the mandalorian side more so because in clone wars you do get some mandalorian stuff but then maul gets it and it becomes just kind of a cool weapon less so than important to mandalore then in series seven they do bring it back but you know 
before I'm, in my head it's Clone Wars series 1 to 6 then Rebels then yeah. uh, Clone Wars series 7 so by the time Rebels had already happened then when they went to series 7 of Clone Wars the the depth of the of the Darksaber lore had been further established so when it came back in series 7 it was more interesting and then with this when they go you know the Darksaber doesn't act the same as a normal lightsaber does necessarily even though you do get those elements with a normal lightsaber where when you get a non-force sensitive using it it feels like a different weapon and stuff mm-hmm. and i really liked the element of where they're basically teaching or the armor is basically teaching him you got to go with the flow of the dark saber but we also got something i really did not expect from this i didn't think we were going to get this information till mando series three maybe not not even then which is what happened to mandalore i didn't so what? And then it started, sh- and I was like, "Oh, they're just going to say it, and then we'll find, we'll see it happen later." And then it just started showing you. I was like, "I'm sorry, what? We're, we're getting to see what happened to Matt. Like the all of us Rebel fans, without trying to spoil the end of Rebels, but it's just like, oh, when you see what happens at the end of Rebels, you Bo-Katan gets the dark saber from Sabine, and you're like, oh, what happens? The Mandalorian starts. You're like, oh yeah, Mandalorian's fucked, basically. Basically, so the whole time, all of us Rebels fans have been going." What's happened? What's happened to Mandalore? This is what I want to know. What's yeah. what has happened all this time? And then we get it, but we get it book of Boba Fett, and I'm just like, I'm happy we got it, and it was so surprising and brilliant. But I'm just like, where's this come from? What? Why? It's almost like pick your moments. There's so many cool things in this, but I'm just like, this shouldn't really be in book of Boba Fett. It makes me love the series, but if I rewatch this now. I'm just going to skip over episodes one to three, maybe even episode four. I'm just going to go straight into episode five. Why would I want to watch the rest of this Boba Fett slow show if I can get such an amazing lore dump? So I'm interested by your perspective on that element of um, of the lore in this episode. So um, if I remember my interviews correctly, John Favreau stated at the beginning of production of Mandalorian season one, that the show will not rely on cameos. It's a standalone series. It will not feature any prominent popular cast. It's a standalone thing. You ask for a new Star Wars, you're getting it. That's what got me very excited. Hmm. And very quickly, all of those promises were once again dissipated. And with season two, we got cameos galore. And because it was trying to do 15 different things at a time, a lot of it misfired for me, it didn't work. I did not believe the fatherly relationship of Din Djarin and Grogu one bit. Mm. I understand what they were trying to do intellectually, and I applaud them for them. It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting idea. But it just it, it wasn't sold well to me. I was like, I, I don't care. When, when Din Djarin is crying at the end of season two, I don't believe those tears. I'm like, why would you go through that? Even when they show his traumatic past as a child, that he doesn't trust droids, that his family was abandoned, he was a foundling. It is such a an emotionless piece of picture that should have been emotional. Mm. And and once again, they misfired there. It's such a crucial point to who this character is. And I honestly didn't find a lot of Din Djarin's character in either season. Right. What really worked for me is when the show stayed in the present and in the vicinity of who Mandalorians are. Bo-Katan, Darksaber, the Visla clan, I'm like, Give me that because it works well within the context of the show. I don't care what is shown to me Star Wars wise. It has to be good. That's my only criteria. And that to me were the best parts of the first and second season of Mandalorian. Now we get to this episode. I'm already watching this episode. Like I don't care or mind that it's a Mandalorian episode in a book of Boba Fett. I'm just, I'm there. Hmm. I'm enjoying it. It's good. It's, we, we get some of the best stuff in Star Wars shows so far in mm-hmm. that particular scene. Because as I mentioned in my review, 
It's a perfect union, a marriage of Star Wars Legends and Star Wars canon. We talk about the 10,000 year history of the Mandalorians. I'm like, yeah, Legends, here we go. That's a little Republic. Yes, motherfucker, we're in there. And then they tie it in with the Rebel show and they talk about Tavisla. Yeah, the Mandalore who who built the dark saber a thousand years, and I'm having goosebumps not because they're throwing lore at me, but because it fits the scene, it fits the app. You try, you see what I'm coming yeah, at? 100%, yeah, hundred percent. I'm watching it within the frame, the context of the show, not what I want to see outside of it. All the cool stuff that I like about Star Wars, it's working here. They're drawing my attention to it when they start having that practice duel before the real duel with. Uh, What's his face? Uh, pa- Paz Vizla, I think his name is. Paz Vizla, right. Before they have the duel with him, she's teaching him to, how to use and wield it. And she says, stop fighting the sword. You have to fight me. It's a very subtle way of saying, attune yourself to it. Either mm-hmm. through the force. We have yet to discover if he's force sensitive or not. But she's saying, hey, there's a special legacy history attached to the sword. You need to respect it if you are to wield it. And at the same time, she's calling out in Mondo those different moves that she wants him to perform. I'm like, motherfucker, this is good. This is good shit. Like, come on, man. Why can't we have more of this? I'm greedy. I feel very, very greedy, and I'm watching it. And it just works so well. And the the action scene coupled with it, when he fights the Mandalorian after it, it fits the character. It informs the story. It's just, just the union of things coming together. You're like, Okay, if they're able to pull off a single episode like this, then I'm looking forward to the future of Star Wars. Mm. Great things may yet happen. You just need to get these particular guys put on an entire show. I'm really curious how the Kenobi show is going to come out. We'll talk about this at the end of this podcast, where, what my expectations are, because they are high indeed. Mm. But from the book of Boba Fett, when I never anticipated or expected something this good, that's all I have for it. Mm. That's my criticism. Yeah. It ends there. I, I'd give this, because um, I've started, I've had an IMDb account now for ages, and I never really rated things on there, but um, I started rating the episodes of Book of Boba Fett kind of before I did these episodes, just so I could kind of figure out what I wanted. Yeah. And I, I genuinely think this episode is a 10 out of 10 episode, but on IMDb, I only gave it a 9 out of 10, literally on the basis that there's no Boba Fett in it. Now I'm not now I want to clarify because obviously to your point and things is like when I was watching the episode I wasn't worried there was no Boba Fett I was loving every moment I I'm very critical of things I really enjoy including Star Wars in a lot of ways and as people see because I've been the host of all these episodes and I've just shat on Star Wars quite a lot but like yeah. I love this episode. This episode was phenomenal. I, I love... When I was watching it, I kept... I was like to Megan, I was like, oh my God, you know, it's R5-D4. He's the one whose motivator breaks in A New Hope. Oh my God, that's a Naboo Starfighter. Oh my God, yeah, that's um, a BD unit. You know, that's in Jedi Fallen Order. And she was oh, is that the one that caused this on your shoulder and stuff? I was like, it is. I was like, I don't think it's the same model. And I looked online, I don't think it's the same one. But I was like, does this mean that Cal Kestis... She just calls them BD. Yeah, and I was like, does this mean Cal Kestis is going to be in it? What's happening? Oh my God. So there's so many things where I was like everything is working so perfectly my only flaw with it is the fact that it's nothing to do with boba fett i know it will probably become that and that's fine and I, I, that's not that's not to downplay how well this episode fit together so i'm in agreement with you where when i was watching the episode i wasn't thinking where's boba fett i was just in the moment going this is amazing yeah. and then it's only afterwards and when i've been you know making a few notes and things and thinking about this episode uh how it links in with the rest of the series as well as what it means for the future that's only when the the doubts start to come in a little bit 
Um, mm-hmm. But if we, with that in mind, so if we move on a little bit, because um, we've still got a, a few things to cover. So obviously you mentioned about the Mandalorian uh, fight with Paz Vizsla, and I really liked that as well. When he started fighting, I was like, don't, I really hope he doesn't beat Paz Vizsla immediately. And I also don't really want him to lose the Darksaber. And then he beat him using the Vibro Blade, and I was like, oh, that, that's brilliant, because that's how he knows to fight. He does, He kind of fights dirty without being a baddie, in a sense, which I quite enjoyed. And um, I, I did like the, um, I like the fact that Paz Vizsla, you know, they call him an apostate. I really love that word. And um, how, you know, they're basically, he, he says he took his helmet off and things. It's like, well, you're not a Mandalorian. Not true. And she explains, because for ages, us fans of Rebels and things have gone, and Bo- Bo-Katan obviously confirmed this in the end of Series 2, where it was just like, when she showed up in Series 2, it was like, different Mandalorians have different creeds and different reasoning of why they do X, Y, Z. And this episode explained that. And you're like, oh, I understand. Right, so the ones who survive were the ones who've stuck to the creed specifically, and the ones that basically had a hand in destroying Mandalore because of their own hubris, they're the ones that follow the creed. So now it makes a bit more sense. It brings a bit more weight to now why Dinjar and his thoughts, he's going to probably, is going to reignite his creed, is going to reignite his passion for being the Mandalorian we saw him to, to begin be with. He'll be the true believer. Exactly. So I really like those elements um, of that. And then we get onto the bit where he um, he goes on the public transport. And public transport is one of those weird things where in Star Wars, because every character we come into contact with and things are, they're always either very rich, you know, in the prequels, everyone's minted, or you've got it where they're main characters, they've got an iconic ship, you know, even Luke Skull, he's always got his X-Wing and stuff, you know. But seeing someone on public transport, I don't think that's been done in live action aside from in Attack of the Clones very briefly um, with uh, Padme and Anakin. But, yeah, yeah, they travel in a transport. Yeah, and I liked him having to put all his weapons. I thought it was quite a funny thing where he just had to take all his weapons out. I like that little trope that's in quite a lot of stuff. We've got someone with about a million weapons. It's like, weapons please. And there's like a two minute montage of just taking everything off. I did like that. And I'm so, so glad I was like, oh no, I was like, don't turn this, I was like, don't make this episode be, he's lost his goddamn luggage. I was really worried they were going to do that, because that's a trope I hate, where it's like, oh, you've got the best weapon you need now. Oh, you've lost it again for another episode. I was like, don't do that. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. It's once again, it's all these things where it's just like, how how have you hit the nail on the head so perfectly in this episode? And yet, all the things you've done well in this episode are the th- a lot of the things you've done wrong in the previous ones. Yeah. So, so from... Uh, the fighting part and the creed and then the public transport stuff um, up to meeting. Um, I always forget her name, so I had to write it down. Um, it is a P, uh, P-Li Motto, Peli Motto, uh, Amy Sedaris. Yeah, mm-hmm. Amy Sedaris character. So from everything I've just said and that, what are your sort of thoughts on that part of the episode? I really enjoyed the traveling part because it was um, a surprise, but it also once again worked in the service of the story and yes. showing him uh, interacting with that little green specifically green chosen alien the the rodian would do kind of remind us of grogu and even little package that he has has those tiny little ears that's what megan said yeah yeah yeah. that was kind of nice because and it had charm to it because it didn't feel cheap Mm. it just felt like it belonged that gave me that little moment that i was missing in majority of mandalorian show where here i was like oh i see what i understand what that masked man is feeling what he's Mm. going through i never kind of understood or liked the fact that Mandalorians don't take it off their helmets. I'm like, where's this crap coming from? Like, why wouldn't you take your helmet off? It's ridiculous, but whatever. Let's roll with it. That's what it is. But in that scene, he's sitting in that helmet. He's like, and you know what he's coming to. And later on, when he circles back with his uh, new ship, he's a big past the kid. It's such a sweet 
moment thrown to kids. It's not yeah. meant for adults. He's like a child who's fantasizing about, oh, you know, he's my little hero. Who is this guy here? And then he sees him. And I don't know, he's like, it's a joyous moment. It's almost like a Superman flying by the ship. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Superman. A beautiful, beautiful moment that the storytellers know what they're doing with it. Nothing feels randomized about it. Nothing feels like let's just slap stuff on screen and see what sticks. It is very determined. It, it, it leads you somewhere. And immediately we, when we cut away to Pelimoto, I love her. Yeah, so do I, I. Ripley, I call her Ripley. Like oh, yeah, she does. Case. So right? the jumpsuit and the hair, yes. And Ripley's yeah, one of Ripley. the most badass she's women funny. in sci-fi history. She's, yeah, she's quirky when she's making fun with all of these things. She's like, hey, little droids. They're shaking little clone era droids. Perfect stuff. This is how you relieve tension. This is how you maintain tension throughout this show, which should have been a lot greedy and darker and sober. I compared the introductory part of this uh, episode in the butcher shop to Guy Ritchie's movies. Yeah, that's good. Remember point. when they go to that pigsty in uh, Snatch? Yes. And that count is like talking that he's about to kill their ass. I'm like, oh, this is some Snatch level stuff going on here. This is how you relieve that tension by giving us some little comedy going on. And of course, she lands there. Do you want me to jump into the ship thing? Whatever you want to about this part is just discussion. How, however I much or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, uh, Mike, this is one part where my inner uh, closet prequel fan comes out. I can't deny it. We got you. I got you on camera yeah, right? saying it. <laughs> my, my closet prequel fan comes out when she unveils the ship. I'm like... Oh, man, it's a Naboo royal fighter. Because those are Doug Chang has contributed to some of the most brilliant designs in Star Wars. I mean, his work on Star Wars prequels is just staggering. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the Naboo fighter, I stated in my video that that particular ship design, that yellow sleek shape, is just as iconic as the X-Wings in the original mm. trilogy. And I loved how they completed together side by side, and they used that mechanic jargon that really puts in that scene how the little droids exploit that little holographic technology to show you how fast they assemble the ship again it's such a good thought out scene that you as an adult you just chew on it you're like oh you don't want it to end you don't know swallow it's like man this is just too sweet this is too good it's the sci-fi part together. it's the sci right. it's more of, it's when star wars leans into the sci-fi element as opposed to the fantasy element and that's one of the things that makes it work in certain a ways a bit yeah a bit and and when when he takes it out it is just as chromium colored and unrefined as din Djarin himself kind of like reflecting who the owner is going to be and i felt that it's so much more suitable to who he is at this point in his life mm. than raises crest because he's a loner he needs to be fast and nibble of figuring out his future destiny. And that's the kind of ship that you get. <laughs> and all the flying around and interacting with the X-Wing pilots who let him slide, it works flawlessly. And, and flying by Beggar's Canyon and those Womp Rats and a little bit of a, of a, a pod racing scene that we get there, none of it felt cheap. None of it felt like exploitation of your childhood memories. Mm -hmm. All of it was worked in concert, scene by scene, shot by shot. They built this episode to give you something special. That's what how it felt to me, like just brilliant stuff. Yeah, it's one of those things where I just, I, I generally think like I was thinking about it before, and I think of all the live action Star Wars, um, excluding the movies. So basically, just book a book about Fett and Mandalorian. So with those, I think. I think the episode the Jedi is my favorite, but I think that's almost 
purely because Ahsoka's in it. And I just love anything with Ahsoka. You get to learn Grogu's name, which is cool. And anything with Ahsoka, you know, seeing her. By the way, my favorite episode too with Ahsoka. Yeah. And also Rosario Dawson is a goddess. I absolutely adore her. So Mm -hmm. that was amazing. And I I know you and I have spoken at nauseum about the uh, finale of Mandalorian. I personally, especially on the rewatch, I still love it. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic in so many ways. But with this episode, I just found there wasn't a dull moment. Because even though when the plot, as you said, when the plot slows down, you don't lose any of the story. You don't lose any of the momentum. It goes... It's like a roller coaster in certain ways, you know. The, the, when you're going up on a roller coaster, you're not meant to be bored. You're you're anticipating the drop, and then you get to the top, and then you drop, and then the way down. It's meant the whole thing is an experience. You can't have the drop without the rise. And I think with this episode, it just works so well. We've got the action at the start and the really cool. So, oh, you were missing the the uh, Boba Fett badassery. Here's just you know Mando being ridiculously badass, more badass than we've seen in almost all live-action Star Wars, of just the brutality of it, without it being unnecessary. I really enjoyed that element. And then you slow down, and they just they took their time. And most of the best films that I've seen, uh, especially yeah. sci-fi films, are ones that take their time. You've got films that I love, like Moon or Interstellar, that they take their time with things. They don't rush. And that's one of the issues I think I found with certain um, recent movies, in, and also including certain things like, um, I think Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker suffered from it quite a lot, where it's just like, I think we discussed it in our conversation on um, Star Wars Timeline, where it's just like, it feels like every scene they're rushing to get to the next one. And then yep. you finish, and you're like, why did you rush through all that? Whereas in this scene, they're like, look, here's an episode about Mandalorian. Here's this um, Pelimotti who's great. Here's a few droids and things. There's a few references, you know, Jedi Fallen Order. Here's a, a, a prequels reference. Lots of little references without it being like, without him shoving it down your throat, it's a reference. With it just being like, look, the Naboo Starfighter, all of our Star Wars nerds know, it's a really good ship. It's incredibly fast. It's hard to get, so it makes sense that it took a while to get. Her explanation being like, it's not on any of the logs of the Empire. I was like, that is such a good, well-thought-out yeah. reason to mm-hmm. have the ship. And I think, as you say, and one of the things I appreciate about your opinion with uh, Star Wars, even though I don't fully agree with everything, because uh, I think the Gro- Grogu Mando relationship is excellent, but, you know, opinions is... That's why I want to talk to you a lot of the time about these things. With these things, I always find that I want Star Wars, as you say, to write, to have the best story possible. And then before the final script, someone like us or Pablo Hidalgo, who's like, you know, the head of uh, the canon uh, story group, goes in there and goes, right, instead of this generic ship, let's just tweak it so it's the Naboo Starfighter. Everything else in the scene still works. You need an old ship that's not traceable, that's really fast, that's small, that takes a while to fix. What could that be? You just work that into the draft. I'll figure out what that thing is, then do that. As opposed to what I feel like has been an issue in uh, the Book of Boba Fett especially, which is they don't go, what's the best plot? Let's add lore on top of it. They go, I want this reference in there. How can we make that work around the story? And then you get these jarring moments that don't fully work because you're trying too hard to get this reference in when it doesn't work with the plot. And I just found this episode did the opposite of that. Every reference, every cameo, everything about this episode worked. As you said, when he... They didn't make a big fuss. They didn't say, oh, Mando, why don't you try out the old pod racing track? They didn't say that. He just went off by himself. He flew. Where would you naturally fly around from Tatooine? You would probably gravitate towards the place that is quite hard to navigate through. What just happens to be the place that a lot of races took place, you know, about, what was it by at this point, uh, 40 odd years ago? 
it was the pod racing track. It's Beggar's Canyon. Yeah. Beggar's Canyon is a landmark on Tatooine that just so happens to be within the Bunta Eve pod racing chat, like the, the race that we saw in Phantom Menace. So we got to see him test out a ship that if you didn't say Beggar's Canyon, we would have still all known what it was. But because you gave that little bit, just that one word, it's referenced because in universe, that's what it's called. But we yeah. didn't have to be pushed down our throat to go... Oh, it's the pod racing bit. Oh, I heard there was a human that won pod racing. You don't mm -hmm. need all that stuff. You don't need the it's fluff. It's organic. Exactly. And what you, too, I just quickly wanted to circle Please back do. to what you said earlier. I sort of don't fully agree that they should have, like, Pablo Fidalgo or somebody by telling them, like, hey, if you just subsidize that one little part and make the rest of the show work, they have to be very careful with that. Yeah. Because this is how Luke Skywalker's... Uh, sorry, just we, we're detracting from the main you know no, topic please, right please. now. This is how... Luke Skywalker felt if this episode of Mandalorian felt very organic and every piece of the puzzle fit, so mm. to speak, like Tetris. Luke Skywalker's showing up at the end did not feel organic. It didn't feel like he earned his spot there, even though he's who is the Jedi who's going to answer the call on Tython? Could be anybody, could have been Cal Kestis. When Luke Skywalker suddenly shows up, obviously on the heels of the Rise of the Skywalker. A lot of fans are like, ah, ah, ruined, ruined, ruined. I personally felt like I was treated like this when I saw Luke Skywalker. I'm like, dude, why am I seeing him? Why are you playing with me like this? Why are you plugging my favorite character who deserves so much more than a cameo, a five-second mm. cameo in the show? And it should have been a whole season or a series based on him. Hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's not a matter of right people coming at the right time and saying, oh, but if you do this like that, they don't have George Lucas anymore. They don't have one captain of the ship to say, I want it to be this way. Remember how he goes through the departments of like animatronics and creatures. You always see it in the behind the scenes. He's like, I want this, I want that, that doesn't work. Turn this green, I want this larger. And the whole puzzle fits. They don't have one individual working like it. it's now a collaborative process. They have mm. committees. They have a group of people working together. So for this particular episode of the show, my argument is hire the right people and let them stick with it. Mm. I'm almost convinced that whoever wrote this episode, they thought all of it through. Like, ah, we're going to put the Naboo fighter here. Ah, we're going to put the BB-8 here. Because I also discussed that because even though it's a small, minute detail, Great storytelling consists of small little details put together into a whole. And when you look at the BB a robot, the droid, whether he belongs to Calcastus or not, the reason that it makes sense is how it would end up on a junkyard on Tatooine. Yeah. It's a whole journey there. That's how R2D2 and C3PO end up on Tatooine by this grand misadventure, right? Yeah. And you're looking at this droid, I'm like, man, whoever put this little S Easter egg here, they know what they're doing. Mm. They know what they're doing. Mike, before you move on with your question, sorry, I'm distracting us. No, bit. go ahead. I wanted to get your thoughts on, you mentioned the destruction of uh, uh, Mandalore. Mm. How did you like that sweet Terminator shot? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, because I, I love Terminator. I mean, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, as well as Aliens, yeah. I think are two of the greatest sci-fi films ever made, and they're both made yeah, by yeah. Uh, James Cameron. And yeah, I I love that when you and I I did. Now that you've mentioned it, I'm really thinking about. It, but I didn't click that mainly because I was just hyper focused on. Oh my yeah. god, we're getting great Star Wars. But yeah, because the the KX series security droids, obviously reference K2SO from Rogue One, 
with them walking in the fire, yeah, that is very, very much like the, is it T-1000? Or is T-100? I can't remember the model. T-800, in Terminator. the original Terminator. Yeah, when you see them in, uh, especially Judgment Day and things, when you see them walking, when they haven't got the, because the majority of them, for people who know Terminator, haven't got human synth skin, they look yeah. like those. Yeah, that, it looks very apocalyptic. It, it works so well with the fire and the colour scheme and less is more and i know you've said that a lot before as well and it's one of the reasons i think that we agree that the original trilogy works in so many ways is there's certain elements where you don't need to see too much of certain things yes we saw a huge amount of bombing we saw a giant landmark blow up and then we saw and then you're thinking oh they blew up a lot of mandalore that's quite that's quite bad and then you see them going around and shooting the survivors (laughs) of it and you're like this is dark this like a new mandalore like a new mandalore like they said in um end of series two of mando when um they mentioned it it was like oh no mandalore's gone you're like okay well how how gone is it because in the whole canon it's always kind of been a bit gone and then you see that and you're like oh god yeah that is pretty it's gone. really gone <laughs> <laughs> it's really goddamn yeah, gone. okay that is gone <laughs> that's not a little bit scratched that's completely wiped off yeah, yeah I, I absolutely love that and once again those droids they could have had stormtroopers doing it. They could have had something else, but it's cold. It's calculating. It's a little homage, as you say, to Terminator. And it makes sense because you're like, there's no, it's the the Empire has no emotion. So it's not yeah. even that you've got stormtroopers on a, on the uh, on ground level shooting survivors. Or robots. You, you got droids. They're just anything that moves, yeah. they shoot. Don't even think about it. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I love that. I, I once again, it's just every. I feel I, I'm going to rewatch this episode 100%. Like any, mm-hmm. it it was just so good. And that flashback and now it has reignited my hope. As you said earlier as well, it's like the, if they can do this for the majority of Star Wars or even half, then I'd be happy. If if the next two episodes are this good, Bob, Book of Boba Fett is redeemed. Not for the right reasons, not because Boba Fett's now amazing, but because they've made a good plot out of yeah. you know, whatever. They salvaged um, it in a way. Exactly. So yeah, I, I love that shot. I, I both of both the things and the brutality of it and the bombing and yeah, I just it it was so well done and it, they didn't linger too long. You didn't have loads of people screaming and you know the yeah. trope of like a child with a stuffed animal running or any none of that. It was cold, brutal war. And I like how in the dialogue, you know, there's so much lore in what the armor is saying. She mentioned about it was Moff Gideon that did it. And you're like, okay, cool. They mentioned about the Darksaber stuff where you have to win it in combat. It's cursed, which goes into, you know, the Mandalorian people. They are quite superstitious. They are all about honor. They've got all these elements to them of why they're the way they are. You know, they're warrior people, so they're very strict in their ideology. And they go, look, you don't win the Darksaber because X, Y, Z. And you go, oh, that's why Bo-Katan accepted it in Rebels and then can't accept it again because she knows of the error but she doesn't want to tell Din Djarin about how she messed up so badly so it it this episode made for me Mandalorian series 2 with the episode of Bo-Katan in it better and that's that's what I want from Star Wars and that's what I that's what I think a lot of people felt with uh Mandalorian and they with Mandalorian series two, I don't think it made any of the sequels better for me. Just because Luke was cool in it doesn't make Luke any different for me in Last Jedi. Because I love Luke in Last Jedi, I think he's great. But I think that what I what I like from stories and 
I was watching something else recently, and I'm trying to remember what it was. It was a movie of some sort, and I completely are you watching forgot. Arcane, by the way, on Netflix? No, I've heard. I saw you you mentioned it was really good, and I know a couple of my mates watched it and said it's phenomenal, and said that I really need to watch it. I'm kind of it is watching. really phenomenal. I think this is where one example where, regardless of your te- of your taste or genre, you come into it, and it's like it's un- it's it's not great. It's undeniable. Mm. That's what it is, and you know, yeah. it's it's once again for those of us to whom Star Wars means so much. This is where you want Star Wars to be. When you watch Logan, it's not just good or great. It's undeniable. Mm. And same with Joker. There's certain types of cinema. I noticed that across cultures and the parts of the world, regardless where people are from, you watch something and the whole world celebrates. Yes. Yeah, movies yeah. like that. Avatar. Say what you will about James Cameron's Avatar. It was unanimously revered around the world, especially South American countries where that topic of you know deforestation and Amazonia is so poignant. And even James Cameron took his entire cast over there to speak on the national board of like you know forest and Amazon preservation, all of that stuff. It resonated with the entire world. Mm. That's where you want Star Wars to be. Yeah, and I want when I want. One of the reasons, the main thing I love about Star Wars is the size of the universe. Where I can read, I've got Mm -hmm. High Republic comics next to me. I can read High Republic comics next to me and they reference some random planet. And then months, maybe even years down the line, I read a book or a comic, something, or watch a series. Like Cobb Vanth, for example. He's the big example for me, Mandalorian. I loved him being in it because... You don't need to know who Cobb Vanth was in series one of the, uh, series two of Mandalorian. I'm sure you potentially have some slightly differing opinions, but for me, I was like, I read the Aftermath trilogy. They're one of the first uh, books in the new canon to come out. I thought they were absolutely incredible. I love them, and I just think that the story they told and the characters in them are so powerful. There's so many cool parts about them, and Cobb Vanth is just in a couple of interlude chapters. He's not... It just kind of vaguely says, oh, Boba Fett might have survived because Jawas found some armor, and someone has picked it up. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Years down the line, he just pops up in a series and you go, oh, he makes sense for me in the series. In a book, it confirmed that he had the armor. So when he popped up, I was like, that's called Vanth. What? And I, I, that's what I want. I want I want the connective tissue to work or I want it to improve other things without cheapening the original. And I think that's, that's what point. this does. You can do, I don't like retconning in the wrong ways. Like Bad Batch. I know you, you enjoy the Bad Batch a lot more than I did. I thought it was great. Don't get me wrong. But when they it was a minor gripe but when they redid the uh, order 66 scene with Caleb Doom and Depa Belaba mm-hmm. i thought most of it was great and i i've in my own mind it works that the comics i read for it work with that scene because you can just there's a couple of minor details but then when Caleb runs away the rest of the comic can work it's fine they don't change too much but what they did do is change the color of her lightsaber and i'm just like that that little missing detail that bothers me because it's just this, it, it didn't ruin the show, it didn't ruin the comics. It's just this weird little inconsistency that didn't need to be there. And um, with this, I found it's the it's the opposite, where you get you get law. It didn't change anything we already had. It didn't ruin anything. Add it only added to it in an organic way. And I think that's what this whole show has been missing. It hasn't added to the legacy of Boba Fett. You've just kind of got a character, and you're trying to make him develop as a character. Along the way, it's a jarring way of doing it, and no one's really invested in the character growth. Half the fans like me who are like, I don't give a shit about Boba Fett. I'm watching Book of Boba Fett, excited to see what they do with this relatively untouched character in the canon, aside from War of the Bounty Hunters. And you've got the other half of the fans who are like, I can't wait to see Boba Fett be the badass I always knew he was. And then both sides have gone, he's not really either of those things. 
So I feel like Book of Boba Fett hasn't added much to the legacy of Boba Fett in the ways one would expect. And that's the flaw. And that's, this episode has done the opposite of that, where it's gone all these elements that were already connected with Rebels or Mandalorian or anything, we've only added to it and elevated it. You see well, what sometimes saying? the instance is where you have a character that is surrounded, shrouded in a mystery, mm. right? This darkness that you try to dissipate with information and lore and taking a story into a certain direction. Character responses, where his future takes them. Sometimes you do have a certain development that just doesn't adhere to what was. And I don't think it's on behalf of fans kind of like just sticking to the past and being archaic in a sense and saying, we don't want things changed. It's not that. Hmm. It's understanding who character is and what that character is being not transformed or modernized like Batman and Superman have been countless times, but being essentially fundamentally altered. Hmm. I felt that in the earlier comic books, John Wagner and Cam Kennedy, the phenomenal, phenomenal Scottish uh, uh, comic book illustrator, Cam Kennedy, I would say one of the greats. When I read his uh, Dark Empire comic book, at first sight, if you've never picked up a comic book in your life, you will check it out and say, what is this crap? When you start understanding the art of comic book, and you're like, oh, that's why everybody copies him to this day. Hmm. Just immaculate artist. And I felt that both of those, that that duet, collaborated and brought, I think they put Boba Fett on the map, honestly, after episode six, they mm. made him famous because they exploited him in a right way. They, they dissipated that darkness, not too much of it, but the way they have done it, he stays masked, he stays mysterious, and he works by bouncing off other characters in the story, whether it's his bounty, other temporary partners that his you, you understand what i'm trying mm, to say yeah, yeah it's yeah. not too much it's not too little but it goes in the avenue where you're like yeah i recognize this guy from episode six it's like you make that logical continuity there it's like oh, okay i get it what they're doing in the book of boba fett one of the criticisms that i have and i hate using the word disneyfied you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's completely different altered i don't believe in that but he's dis- disneyfied in a sense of they are try- trying to make a hero out of him they're trying to make him relatable and say, well, the, the audience needs to root for him. And the only way we believe that could be possible is that he's a hero now. He wants to rule with respect. He's not going to kill unchecked. He's going to try to recruit Doc Cressantan and get him on his side. He's not going to kill. Yay. It's, I could see how that could be problematic for some fans who are a lot more adamant about their origin stories than I am and say, well, not, that's not who Boba Fett is fundamentally. And even though you are giving me some character growth and development, it's not in line of what we remember. So mm-hmm. I think that's also very important to understand source material. I thought X-Men First Class is masterclass of a comic book to film adaptation where the writer knows the source material so well. And then he says, guys, I know my material so well that I'm going to just take all the, this formula of the origins of the X-Men. I'm just going to rejuggle it, retoss the card deck, right? But it's still going to feel recognizable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to accentuate and point out the things that are important and fundamental to the DNA of X-Men. It's not what they look like or how cool their powers are. It's the struggles these teenagers are going through. And Xavier being for them, and, and uh, the Magneto is being there on the opposite side. Knowing these elements and knowing how to manipulate them is once again what Star Wars needs. 
Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, relatively everything you've just said then, and you've put it very eloquently. So we'll kind of loop to the end here then. So um, I'm just going to see uh, if there's any other, I think pretty much, pretty much all the references and stuff I think uh, I mentioned and whatnot. We talked about the BD unit, about the droids, uh, Pelimoto, um, as well as the Naboo Starfighter, Beggar's Canyon. Oh, no, there's one part I liked. Um, obviously, we got to see the pilots as well, which was quite cool. So two little bits of trivia for you. Um, so the first one is that of the two pilots that uh, Mando saw when he flew up in the Starfighter, obviously, you've got the one, which is uh, Carson Teva. He was in Mandalorian Series 2. Yeah, the, the other, dude, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the mm-hmm. other guy, I looked at him, I was like, do I recognize him? He's the body double of Luke Skywalker in Mando Series 2. So he's he basically familiar. So he's basically the guy who was doing all of the action. Then Mark Hamill comes in at the end, does the, you know, uh, oh, what's the term? A uh, deep fake and the voice and gets all the credit. And obviously Mark Hamill's great. I'm not debating that. But that guy, I like the fact that he got a little bit. It's like, oh, cool. He's now his own character in Star Wars rather than being really the coolest part of Luke being in Mandalorian Series 2 was watching him go through all those droids. And Mark Hamill gets all the recognition for that, even though he didn't do anything to it. Would you so, be down like if they focus on adventures of young Luke Skywalker past episode six, if they hire him? Um, I would rather they hired Sebastian Stan on the basis that... He's, he's getting up there in years, man. He is, but I just think he looks he's a perfect. lot... He looks... Uh, Sebastian Stan, I think, just looks so much more like Luke. And I know that they, that characters don't always have to look like their counterparts, but I just think... When you've got someone, I think they are, because I heard there was an interview where Sebastian Stan kind of said, oh, I would if Disney, uh, if Mark Hamill would sign off on it, I would. And it's like, I've noticed a thing. If an actor ever is asked about a project and they say anything at all about it, it's pretty much guaranteed they've already signed off on it. It happened with Ewan McGregor. They asked Ewan McGregor if they want, if he wanted to do Obi-Wan again in, I think it was 2007, 2008. And he was like, I'm not really interested. I just kind of want to do other stuff. Then about Four or five years ago, they asked him, and he was like, I don't mind, maybe. But by that point, the Kenobi show had already been greenlit behind closed doors and all that sort of stuff. So with Sebastian Stan even referencing the fact that he could be Luke Skywalker, I think they've already they've already got that. And I just, I want, I mean, I've, I've thought before that it could be animated because obviously Mark Hamill is an excellent voice actor. And so he, and obviously he is Luke Skywalker, so that's fine. So I was thinking... I want. I just want more content between episode six and uh, seven, and I want it mainly what we got a taste of in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic, where you had uh, Luke, young Ben Solo, and Law Santeca going around the universe, just finding old Jedi temples and looking at cool old Force stuff. It's my favorite thing about Star Wars is Force things. I like Mandalorian. The law of Ma- of the Mandalore is now becoming one of my favorite parts, but that is intertwined with the. Um, the, not the dissonance, uh, I can't remember the word for it, but the two opposing sides of a Mandalorian and a Jedi. Enemies for millennia. The Mandalorian armor is literally created, and the jetpacks, specifically to combat force users. That's the only point of it. And that is like having a character who is a Jedi and a Mandalorian, I'm sure they're going to have a series about it or a movie or something, which I would love for them to do. So in that regard, like that's what I'm excited for. The force stuff and lore that's substantive that, that, that works really well and brings up some of the things that the modern mythology that you and i have spoken about so much where it's just like when you've got two opposing sides it's why the story of darth revan really intrigues me you know i love the story of a fallen hero but i also do like a redemption story when done well and the darth revan story you know there's a lot of arguments about the uh, the book which i've not read the book itself but obviously in uh knights of the old republic games you can kind of choose how it goes 
but that element of things I really enjoy. So I, I like the opposing. I, I like conflicting ideologies hitting themselves and seeing what happens from them. So that that's from me. So with that in uh, in mind, we'll start to wrap up here. What are your kind of final thoughts on either what I just rambled about, but also this episode and following on what you kind of want going forward? Uh, again, I'm taking all of Star Wars content, whether it's books, High Republic, TV shows, day by day. I, I don't have anticipation. I don't have criteria or requirement how this season is going to end. I'm like, cool. I found things to like in this episode. I like dark croissant in here, black croissant. And I like the little reference over here. I like BBBG droid. It's just just come to me. And obviously, I will do like a grand review of this whole season. And I'm pretty sure I know what I will say because regardless how it ends you can buy four episodes and you kind of like assess what you think or feel about the show it's it's a little messy yeah it's definitely. a little over the place i'm glad it's made i'm glad yeah. there is five and ten year olds out, out there watching it like daddy i want the you know the boba fed the toy or action toy or lego piece i want his ship right fire spray <laughs> Or slave one, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. It's like, give it to me day by day. I'll enjoy it. Maybe because I don't have that particular attachment to Boba Fett. Um, mm. I mentioned earlier to you in this podcast that time comes for Kenobi's show. I'll be highly critical. Mm. Uh, there is a lot of it that rests on it. There's a lot of legacy. He is perhaps the biggest, one of the biggest Star Wars characters ever made. And Ewan McGregor is largely responsible for that. Yeah, I agree. It's it's no matter how what angle you come into the prequels, his stuff, his work is wonderful. Liam Neeson was wonderful. His work, I loved Hayden Christensen's performance. I can't wait to see him more. I can't wait to see him in in. I talk about. It, I'm getting goosebumps again. <laughs> secret, secret closet prequel fan is coming out of me. I'm like, oh, I want to see that. Stuff. Kenobi is that technically falling the prequels? Or yes. does that fall in the originals? Because I think it's going to be yes. prequels. I think it's going to be and flashbacks. So this might convert a few people to go back and rewatch the prequels and give them another go. And the book, which I was highly anticipating, that dropped the ball for me, the Kenobi Legends book, which completely didn't I never avoid read it. it. Yeah, it I've, avoided everything, all the important things that should have been in this book, dealing with the PTSD, the remorse that he felt, Anakin, setting up the future resistance, looking after None of it is in the book. Hmm. It's a stupid detour. He helps some random people against Tuscan Raiders. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> why why aren't you like using this? I will be you will change my like you'll see a change in my tone. You will change in the, with the, the critical look I will be giving each episode because it, it's just a different level for me, even hmm. within Star Wars. I don't regard most of Star Wars as this like dramatic finesse oscar worthy kind of like it's just not that kind of formula for storytelling you know what i mean yeah it's not this shakespearean drama but for kenobi show i expect a lot more than this and that's all i have yeah. to say about it it's not knocking down boba fett once again i'm happy it was made i'm having my fun with it there's not a single episode that i could call downright garbage piss poor uninspired it's just I have to shout out to all the creative talents that are putting their hearts and souls into the show. But at some point, you have to take off this politically correct mask off and just be genuine and say, like, well, this is shitty. This doesn't <laughs> work here. No, you have to say it. And yeah, it's okay. I agree. It's not being toxic and saying, like, well, you know, this is laughable. 
Come on. Oh, you're toxic because you don't accept it. You don't like it. No, I don't have to like or accept everything. And I don't have to filter everything I say. Like my younger brother, he has his heavy metal podcast. And fans are upset at him for saying that, look, I respect this artist. I just don't think the music is good. <laughs> what happened for, for like a personal opinion? So for me, overall, the show is somewhere in the vicinity of six or seven. I would give a Mandalorian season one and two, somewhere around seven, 7.5. It was like enjoyable. Hmm. despite reaching that high peak that I expect, it's there. With this episode being exceptionally good, I just expect the show to wrap up with a decent enough punch to say like, hey, perhaps season two will happen. Um, I would like to see uh, uh, Dangar, uh, Bosk. Above all else, I would love to see Cat Bane. Cat Hmm. Bane in live action would be just raw as hell. Popping in there like... You were looking for a muscle, bro? I gotcha. I'm, I'm a little bit more effective. I have a little bit more street cred than you do, kid. Let me show you how this bounty thing is done, right? Because he's older than Boba. We see them interact a little bit in the uh, Clone Wars or like, uh, you know, the similar episodes. Boba Fett is like, tiny, weeby little bounty hunter wannabe. Cat Ben is like, bro, I go versus Jedi hand-to-hand combat. But, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I survive. <laughs> That's what I would like to see. Um, I sort of anticipate and expect deep fake Harrison Ford because that's John Favreau and that's how you boost show ratings and this is just one little sweet pie on the surface you gotta throw in there something like this is gonna happen I'm not gonna cringe too much and criticize and do laser eyes kind of like reactions like Star Wars is ruined now but I sort of expect that too what about yourself with me um I would say with Kenobi, I agree. I'm going to probably do another Kenobi discussion show, much like this one. I think there's going to be six episodes. I'd love so. to be on it. Yeah, 100%. You'll definitely be on at least one episode. Um, but I, Kenobi is what I'm most excited for. The prequels for me were made, be, not were made literally, but they made, I love them so much because of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan was the first character in any series, I've ever in any movie, anything I ever saw. Yeah. I was like, I want to know this character. I want to be like this character. When I was young, you know, when... Um, when uh, Attack of the Clones came out, 2002, I was eight. So when I saw that, I was like, this is this is who my role model is. He is the... Ah. I saw him, you know, old, wise Ben Kenobi in the original trilogy. And then you see him in his youth and his prime. And you see him in, especially Revenge of the Sith, and the struggle and the emotion and the weight he has to live with. And I want to see that. And yeah, I'm going to be... A lot more critical. I think that Kenobi has far more riding on it than Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett was a character which is like, some people had a bit of weight to him, but realistically he had barely any screen time. They're just trying to flush him out. Kenobi is already flushed out. Kenobi, as you say, is already one of the biggest characters in all of Star Wars and also one of the biggest characters in cinematic history. Everyone knows the name Kenobi, even if you're not a Star Wars fan. I see below Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, Kenobi is very close. And I'm just like, I... I expect great things. I need it to be good. I will be very, very critical of Kenobi. Yeah. And the kind of... I, I None of the Book of Boba Fett episodes, I think, are bad at all. I think the worst one was probably episode three, but that was because of goofy prequel-esque errors, I think, more so than actually this episode is bad and more so just there's moments in this that I feel like with a bit more tweaking would actually work. Agreed. And so I'm more forgiving of those elements in this. But with Kenobi, it needs to be airtight. It needs to really 
if anything's going to hit the pinnacle of the original trilogy quality, it needs to be Kenobi. It needs to I be. I want the worst episode of Kenobi be as good as this Mandalorian episode. I kid yeah. you not. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I would hope for that as well. And I want there to be lore and interest and intrigue and emotion. I, if mm-hmm. I don't feel anything mm-hmm. when I watch Kenobi, I'm going to be so disappointed because mm-hmm. I still feel stuff when I watch the Mustafar battle in episode three. I still get it when he says, you're my brother, Anakin. I'm just still like, <gasps> come on, get through it. You know, and I, I need that. I, I need that stuff. So with me, with this series going forward, I'd say the thing I'm wary of is it's going to basically become the Mando show, which I'm not necessarily... If that's where it's going to go, that's fine. I think I'd rather it becomes the Mando show and is as good as the last episode was, as in episode five. I think if it's as good as episode five and it becomes the Mando show featuring Boba Fett, I'd be okay with that. I think the series as a whole would suffer, even though I feel like the episodes and my enjoyment would be increased. And I feel like I would probably rather that than it then dips and then episode six and seven are a bit crap. So I I am wary that it's just going to become the Mando show. That's my slight worry. Um, But what I want is for Boba Fett to really stand on his own two feet and be as cool as we saw him in Mando series two and really make it so that the show works in the ways that we kind of want it to and that Boba Fett is the character that the show is trying to show him to be without him just being a worse version of Din Djarin. That That's kind of what I want. Um, yeah. I suspect they're going to make a second series and then I imagine what will happen is we'll then watch series two and we'll be like, oh, this series is kind of like the equivalent to Mando series one, but slightly worse. So then this next series is probably going to be elevated. And if they do, when I started this, I was like, don't want that to be a second series. Don't want it. And now I'm part three through. I'm like, I kind of want them to so they can kind of redeem themselves a bit. Just so... It kind of is this whole package where from the quarter point, everything's brilliant, rather than it being half of it not being good, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, going forward, I'm I'm interested. I'm excited. You know, this I, I would still watch it even if this episode was rubbish. Even if every episode was rubbish, I'd still watch it. I'm still, I'm like you. I appreciate Star Wars. I'd rather have okay Star Wars than no Star Wars. I don't think this has ruined anything. I think there's been a few missteps, but... I'm just happy to have to live in a time where we're getting new styles content in comics, in books, in series, in movies, in games. You can have your Star Wars content however you want it. If you hate Book of Boba Fett, which I don't, when you finish, just don't watch it. Go watch something else. You know, so there's an ocean of Star Wars to love, and I just appreciate people like yourself who, much like myself, we are critical of Star Wars because we appreciate we appreciate it. It means a lot to us in different ways. We have, we want certain things from Star Wars, but if we don't get those things, but we it still delivers on other elements, we are okay with that. We do not criticize the show from what we wanted. We criticize the show from its merits and then comment on what I personally would have enjoyed is this or that. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really appreciate from you and I having these conversations because you know, you're honest about things and you do, you also self-aware. So if you do go off on a rant about Mando, you do at the end of it go, to clarify, I still think it's good. I still enjoyed it. It's just my opinion, so I really appreciate it. You have that to understand you. that we all come from different orbits into this one thing that pulls us all in. You know, I'm culturally different than you are. I have different yeah. upbringing. You know, I my Star Wars was was cheap, stupid Russian dubbing that half of the words <laughs> I didn't even understand. I didn't even know who Anakin Skywalker is. I just knew. I remember the words "father" being said. I don't remember anything about Clone Wars being mentioned. And Luke was my hero. You and I, right? Just are examples of these small little elements that are being pulled 
by the gravity of Star Wars. And you have to understand that. You have to acknowledge that. This is my own little world, my own little bias. The person next to me might feel completely opposite of what I do. Some of my fans on the Facebook group, I'm, I'm pretty sure seeing it in the spoiler thread on Facebook, saying that the episode three was their favorite. Mm. Who am I to tell them it's not, dude? It's like, it's my opinion. And yes, we can adhere to standards and discuss cinematic, you know, uh, skill and the craft of filmmaking that's established. And I wanna, we don't want to diminish what other creators have done before. But at the end of the day, it's all emotion based. It's how you feel about things. That's all it is. And understanding that is brings people together, not apart. Yeah. That's what makes Star Wars great. When like we come together. Yeah. It's, it it goes it goes through the generations. And that's what's important. Even the sequels, I, I still love the sequels. I think they're brilliant in so many ways. And I'm just excited that there's going to be a new generation of Star Wars fans and there's gonna keep doing that. And that's what we need. We need the community of it. And like your channel and your Facebook group and all these things really help with that. So I want to thank you for that. Um, and I also want to say to people, I'm known on the Comics in Motion as one of the uh, the guys who've got the Star Wars trivia, who's the, one of the Star Wars gurus. And I know a lot about Star Wars canon. Obviously, I've read basically every canon Star Wars comic um, bar like a very small handful of IDW, and I'm just finishing off the Poe Dameron comics. I'm trying to read every bit of High Republic content and obviously watch all the shows and etc. But you, I... I'm accepting that if I'm taking the mantle of what people mainly know as the guy who knows a lot about canon, you are my equal, if not superior, when it comes to Legends knowledge. Because I know so little. What people don't realise about this is when I have a question about Legends, I come to you. (laughs) That's the thing. I go to Ben and go what book do I read now? I've got a couple of Audible credits. And you go, try Shatterpoint. It's great. And then I go, oh, I heard there's a sequel to Shatterpoint. It's called this. And you're like, no, don't bother with that. That's not, it's not great. And then I, I like having that. So for me being the canon guru that I reluctantly accept from some people, even though I don't still know as much about canon as a lot of individuals do, you yeah. are my legends guru who I go to. So I would appreciate well, Mike, you Let's for just that. say that I do know more than you are and I'm going to do... Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you guys want to learn about Star Wars? You come to me, okay? I always, I always tease my my friend William. I'm like, bro, you're the pattern one, and I'm the master. You want to learn about Star Wars? You come to me. I'm like, I'm trying to put him on the new Jedi Order and read about this whole Yuuzhan Vong. By the way, after we finish uh, filming, remind me, I have one book to recommend to you about that mm. particular Jedi period that you want to learn about. Absolutely stellar. Well, this has been delightful as always, Ben, and it's been really fun. Obviously, you've been on a couple episodes prior and you got to sort of communicate with some of my friends and extended Comics Emotion family and things. And in this episode, you and I just got to talk like we always do. And I want to say to all the listeners, like if you haven't checked out Star Wars Timeline, you're doing something wrong because you need to go over to that YouTube channel. And even if it's just to hear my voice, me and Ben have had four two hour long conversations about Star Wars, one about how the three trilogies compare to each other, and then we hit a whole breakdown episode on each of the sequel movies, what they did right, what they did wrong, our opinions on them, and it's just... It, it was amazing. And we're going to do With a lot many more, more videos. To come. I want to invite you over. I just want to make up a topic. Uh, make sure you set aside some time. We come over and we talk a bit more. Because we, you and I, we're all about this. We're about bringing fans together and just having a good time. With me, obviously, knowing a, a greater deal more about Star Wars than you do. <laughs> yeah, with Legends, 100%. <laughs> 100 percent i like how you turned it around a little bit okay. when it when that it comes to me. the when it comes to the canon we're probably fairly even but i think i know more about the high republic and i've read all the comics and i don't have you read every canon comic 
Uh, no, not every fan, uh, uh, comic. I read a lot of this series. Uh, it's the main series where I have to start pushing through. There you go. Yeah. So it is one of those things where in a lot of canon, the main broad strokes of canon, we know the same. It's just from High Republic and comic elements. Um, I think I know a bit more than you. But there is there's 40 years of legends <laughs> and about seven to eight years of canon so even if i knew more than you you've got five times more of a pool of knowledge to delve into so that's that proportionally just the quantity of that is i, I can't dispute the fact that you have more of a Mike, you know how knowledge. we should start our our podcasts like we start off uh i introduce you and then just when you start introducing yourself and dropping your channel name i'll be like sit down young Anakin, or take a seat, young Skywalker. I'll be sitting you down and be like, Mace Windu with that like arrogant, smug Jedi. And I'll be like, putting you in your place. Absolutely amazing. Let's do it. Okay, Ben, please, uh, I already gave you a little plug, but please repeat to people where they can find you uh, on social media. I'll include links in the description and then we'll have Guys, if you want to have a friendly chat with a community where fans get to express their thoughts and not be at each other's throats, Facebook, Star Wars Timeline Group, uh, if you want to check out my video, I'm actually, I just, just did a reaction to uh, the Star Wars, the Old Republic, uh, uh, the Sith content that's coming out. Uh, and I'm going to actually start playing tonight. I'm going to make my Ooh. own character. I can't wait anymore. I'm going to go online, Star Wars Timelines. If you guys want to catch me play for the first vanilla playthrough, my first time touching that storyline. I have not played an MMO one bit. Super exciting Star Wars Timeline. And Mike, as always... Thanks for having me. It's a tons of pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. And for anyone listening, you know, you can check out wherever you're listening. If you're listening on YouTube and you're watching the video version of this, hello there. Um, obviously, please subscribe and you'll get to see all of the other um, Star Wars comics and canon episodes I do. They're all in playlists. You get to listen to the genuine chit chat episodes I've done. A lot of those have got videos. I've got a specific playlist, which is Star Wars Conversations, which is literally just me talking to people about Star Wars, including Ben or including Claudia Gray or Paolo Villanelli or Dominic Pace, people who are literally involved in creating star wars content and things which is incredible and so or you are listening on a podcast app so you can't see our beautiful faces and you couldn't see some of the funny little filters that ben was doing so you need to go back and check that out um but if you're listening on the feed of comics in motion yeah new episodes of star wars comics and canon every saturday uh, and i'm currently doing a lot of high republic stuff at the moment because there's high republic mini series and ongoing series and books and i'm doing the podamron series as well because it's the last ongoing series that i've been tackling so star wars content coming out of every orifice that i have into your ears so um <laughs> thank you so much for listening guys find me on social media at genuine chit chat on instagram twitter and on facebook and uh if you join the star wars timeline facebook group as well you'll occasionally see me pop up there as well creeping in the comments so no reason to yes. not uh <laughs> no reason at all take a seat young skywalker <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much guys as always for listening please make sure you follow ben subscribe to star wars timeline do all that wonderful things and um yeah i'll talk to you guys next week and uh, if all goes to plan Megan will be joining me as well as Rhea and Tonya. So we're getting the Femon Film Squad back once again. So um, that's going to be the penultimate episode of Book of Boba Fett. Thank you so much for listening, guys, as always, and speak to you soon. Take care. Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. 
People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in.